1: If this is your first time, uh, you know, dipping your toes into the warm waters of wrong think. Well, first of all, I want to welcome you. That's not an easy decision to make. I think for a lot of people, it's, it's pretty intimidating. Well, you know, what are the neighbors going to think? Will mother be able to hold her head high at bridge club? If you know, if her child is known as a wrong thinker, but here's the cool thing about it. What other people think really doesn't matter. You know what matters? What matters is what you think, what your moral compass is pointing you toward. And to that end, I'm not here to to calibrate your moral compass for you, but I am here to encourage you, really, take the time to think carefully and think more deeply about every single issue, everything that comes before you that helps to shape your view of the world. It's not, uh, you know, reinventing the wheel or anything like that. It's just a matter of, uh, I guess, managing the content that we take in on a daily basis. I'll give you an example. I I know a lot of people, myself included, who sometimes feel like I've been cast in the world's biggest reality television show and I've been put here against my will. So sometimes I want to think, how can I vote myself off the island? How can I get myself away from the contrived drama? But the first thing you have to figure out is, how did I get here? And believe it or not, a lot of that has to do with what kind of media, how much media you consume on a daily basis. Now, TV programming... I'm, I'm going to pick on it, you know, primarily because it's designed to keep us distracted, entertained, and also just a little bit outraged. But it's also primarily resigned to merely, to, to have us primarily resigned to being viewers. In other words, passively absorbing whatever information comes out of it. It doesn't encourage you to do your homework. It doesn't encourage you to dig a little bit deeper and start asking questions and see, does that really add up? And the danger here is that the more reality programming we watch, the more we see the lines between what's real and what's staged blurred. Okay, I'm I'm going to pick on a show here. I really hope I'm not offending too many people, but lately, my wife and my daughter have been binging on this series called Dance Moms. Oh yeah, it's it's exactly as drama filled as you might think. It's uh, <laughs> it's oh, man, it's a bunch of stage mothers with daughters in this dance troupe. And it's it's the drama of competition to, from competition to competition. Just, uh, I don't have words for how much drama there is. But basically, if you're on a drama-free diet, avoid it at all costs. But it's so crazy how many different types of reality shows there are, how much uh, TV programming. There's a reason it's called programming. Because it keeps us fixated on things that actually train us to, uh, well, first of all, see the world through the prism of whatever information source we happen to be accessing. But in the case of like reality television, it trains us to really watch and enjoy and maybe even take some pleasure in the pain, the suffering or the humiliation of other people. We start to see that as, well, that's normal. I think this is why when, you know, people are, are being assaulted or when people are, are uh, otherwise, you know, having a, a breakdown, do people reach out to them? Hey, are you okay? Is there something I can do to help you? No, they pull their phone out and start filming, uh, you know, and the really, really sporty ones start chanting things like, World Star, <laughs> here we go. I'll give you a really horrific example of this. And I don't know exactly what I would do in a similar situation, but, but a video came up here, I think, within the last couple of days. And you see uh, a guy on the streets, a homeless guy sitting on the curb. I think this is in St. Louis. And there's, a, there's another guy. It's, it's, I, I assume he's a gang member or something. But it's, it's, it's definitely someone standing there loading a gun. And he's got a very gangster, you know, aura about him. And he's just calmly sitting there loading the gun. The guy sitting on the curb, the homeless guy, paying no attention. And there are people filming this from inside a business. What is he doing? Oh, wow, he's he's just, I don't know, man. He's just got a gun. He's sitting there loading it and whatnot. And they sit there and they watch it and they film right up until the moment when this uh, gangster extends his arm and pops the homeless guy in the back of the head. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, he killed him. What did you think was going to happen? Now, I'm not suggesting, you know, the best course of action would be to go out there and take that gun away from him. But I, at the same time, I don't know if I could just stand by and watch somebody uh, setting up to murder someone right there in front of my eyes and not at least say something or try to distract him or, or something. Now, of course, you know, truth truth of the matter is, uh, chances are, uh, wherever I am is not a gun-free zone, so there might even be that option. But, you know, you want to assess things. You don't want to just wait in and, you know, start blasting because, well, somebody pulled a gun, so I guess, the, you know... But it was, it was such a cold-blooded thing. And they obviously had time to set up and start videoing or at least get their phone out and, and start recording. And it just kind of makes you stop and wonder, why do, we, why do we allow that to become normal to the point where I think they were genuinely surprised that he actually executed the guy? But it just speaks to, there, there's something that is off, something that's out of calibration in human nature. And by the way, if you think the, the solution is, well, I need to just watch more news-oriented programming. No, not necessarily. Because watching the daily news can actually dull your intellect as well. Even news programs have the ability to affect how you think about everything from politics to religion to government to science to values and culture. That's because they're not asking questions that would actually, actually help you understand a, an issue better. It's more like statements, quick statements. Judgments that are being made to tell you what you're supposed to think. So I think I presented the problem. So what's the solution? Well, in part, I believe the solution is take a media fast. And this doesn't have to be long term, although I think some people actually have taken a media fast and found, you know what? My life is actually more meaningful and better without it. But if you can even break away for just a couple of days, even if you can just break away for a day, you'll be surprised how normal the world starts to look again. And you also start to recognize how and where you're being manipulated. Once you start to recognize those kind of things, then you have the option of diverting your attention and your efforts and your moral energy to things that actually matter. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk, but... I really felt like I had to get that out, out of my system. I I almost wished I hadn't watched the the video of the the homeless man being shot. I, I it popped up on Twitter, and then it was only about a forty five second video or so, but just I don't know. My faith in humanity was flagging. It was it was starting to wane after watching that and just wondering how can people sit there and just be casual observers? A guy is going to be shot right here in front of your faces. And the reaction is to film. I mean, at the very least, could you at least get on the phone and, you know, call 911 or, you know, shout out to the guy that, uh, you know, the police are coming or I don't know. I don't know. Well, all right. That's a that's kind of a dark note to end on. But uh, it's this has just been bugging me ever since I saw it. So I feel better for getting it off my chest. I'm sorry if it burdened you. My goal here is not to make you feel weighed down or otherwise bummed out. Wow, well, everything sure sucks now that Brian's gone off on another tear. So let's, uh, let's dive in to a couple of different topics that uh, are worthy of discussion. Now, when people choose to live in a state of learned helplessness, oftentimes it's because they've been given very strong incentive to do so. I saw a great article pop up here the other day from uh, the American Institute for Economic Research. Treating adults like children. This is by Jason Sorens, who writes, New Zealand recently passed a law permanently prohibiting the sale of tobacco to anyone born on or after January 1st, 2009. That's right. If you're unlucky enough to have been born on or after that date, it will be forever illegal for you to smoke a cigar on a celebratory occasion or to savor a pipe on a dewy summer evening. So apparently this new law is part of a growing trend in the Western world toward treating adults like children. Even as governments are experimenting with lowering the the voting age to 16, they're also raising the age at which we can marry, work, have sex, own a gun, drink alcohol, and yes, smoke. So the logic seems to be that young adults are rational enough to make decisions about everybody else's life, but not their own. And he points out New Zealand's law doesn't just raise the smoking age, it bans, completely bans tobacco purchases for anyone after a certain generation. Oh, I'm sure they're going to be fond of that. Ironically, New Zealand has legalized medical weed and narrowly rejected legalizing recreational weed. California is considering similar legislation to ban tobacco completely even though they too have created legal status for weed. Now we're going to come back to this in just a few moments, but again, at what point does substituting the state's judgment for your own judgment seem like a good idea? I mean, for people who value freedom, you know, the answer, of course, is, well, never. I know what's best for me. I know what's best for mine. I don't need You know, some bureaucrat trying to determine, well, here's what the central planners want for you. But obviously enough people are persuaded to go along with it. We'll talk a little bit more about how that happens just the other side of this break.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian
1: Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Sharing this article from Jared Jason Sorens. Sorry, sorry, (laughs) Jason. I'm just a little tongue-tied here. This is the folly of treating adults like children. And uh, in particular, we're talking about New Zealand raising their smoking age. Uh, Well, not just raising it, but actually banning smoking for anyone born on or after January 1st of 2009. That's supposed to be Permanent. I mean, Does that mean, well, if I move somewhere else, can I do it? Nope. <laughs> I, I don't know. How strict are they going to be? The point is, we apparently haven't learned the lessons of prohibition after all, notwithstanding the global trend toward legalizing marijuana. Our culture, our culture still lacks any consistent understanding that sane adult human beings need to be free to live their lives as long as they aren't harming others. To the contrary, politicians just seem to be rewarding groups they like and punishing groups they don't. Smokers are more blue-collar, less white, less college-educated, and probably have suspicious conservative leanings, so they're an easy target for politicians. Now, you can make a case for, a dis- for discouraging adult use of substances that permanently undermine the capacity for rational decision-making, but it's absurd to say that tobacco use can play no part in someone's reasonable conception of a good life. In fact, the author here says, I occasionally smoke a pipe in the summertime. It's contemplative and a relaxing activity. I smoke infrequently enough that I've never been addicted. And the medical literature has found that the risks of pipe smoke, which is not inhaled, at that frequency are so small as to be unmeasurable. So justifying a total ban on tobacco based on health risks, well, it's unscientific to say nothing of its attack on human decency and dignity. So when the government treats adults like children, when they criminalize our pursuit of happiness, what does that do to us? Does our power of choosing for ourselves, of weighing risks and benefits, of exercising independent judgment, begin to atrophy? John Stuart Mill thought so. In his famous book, On Liberty, the English philosopher defended freedom of experiments in living. And he contended that human progress came from thinking, discussing, and testing new thoughts. So without the ability to act on our ideas, with the critical proviso that we do so at our own expense and without violating others' rights, we would lack the ability to test those ideas and to see which ones work. Now Mill fell into a few inconsistencies of his own, but his basic contention that the human mind grows and thrives when it's not confined to a single homogenous plan of life seems indisputable, that freedom to toy with ideas and learn from experience is now under threat. In the 2020s, even thinking or talking about a politically incorrect behavior or opinion is often dangerous to our careers and social standing. And as more private lifestyle choices become unlawful, will will we even lose our, our ability to think through our choices and the value we place on physical health, narrowly defined, versus happiness in the broader sense? Will the new wars on drugs, sex, guns, and more become a war on our minds? Jason Soren says, with the ubiquity of social media and the growing role of artificial intelligence in collating data from across the Internet, the push to ban eccentric and unpopular lifestyle choices could exacerbate the growing trend of denying people access to web hosting, financial services, and employment. Now more than ever, those of us who simply want to be able to think new thoughts and try new things must defend the rights of those whose lifestyles we may not wish to copy. So treat adults like adults, beautifully stated. So, speaking of treating adults like adults, that would also mean holding adults accountable for decisions or behaviors that they've engaged in that uh, have impacted others. Case in point, uh, you know, Woody Harrelson's joke about the world's biggest drug cartel, that was a long-overdue truth bomb, and you know that uh, got some people's attention. So kind of gets you wondering, is the day of reckoning for these cartel members that he talked about uh, coming? The world's biggest drug cartel, Big Pharma? James Howard Kunstler says, yeah, it's coming. He says, millions of people in the West see the spiritual catastrophe their societies are being led towards. The elites are going crazy, but that's their problem. What we have to do is defend our children from this degradation and degeneracy. Actually, this is a quote from Amy Therese on Twitter, but James... Howard Kunstler follows up by saying it's coming. That's what Elon Musk said a while back, apropos of the Twitter files that show all the US government suppression of COVID-19 misinformation, mislabeled or COVID-19 information rather mislabeled as misinformation. Think what a uh, think of whatever the truth is as misinf- mis misinformation. Get it? You might have to read that sentence more than once to comprehend what went wrong with the American consensus. This past three years and then you begin to understand why the operation is called I can't say the word he uses but screwing with people's minds it comes out in weird ways now for instance Woody Harrelson's little prank on Saturday Night Live the A-list actor opened the show acting stoned talking about how much he likes weed and getting stoned and at the very end of his routine spoke of a movie script that spun out in his stoned head the biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes and people can only come out if they take the cartel's drug and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who's going to believe that crazy idea? James Howard Kunstler says, One can also imagine the NBC lawyer's iPhones lighting up and emitting a cacophony of ringtones in the late night hours following Woody's little uh, gauchery. After all, this is the TV network that still employs the likes of Rachel Maddow, misinformation informer-in-chief of the whole USA, who for years has performed as the icon representing how the political left thinks of itself, and what it thinks. What the left thinks of itself, of course, is that it's collectively the smartest person in the world. And what the left actually thinks is exactly what Woody's movie script implied. Believe everything that the government, the news media, and the drug companies tell you, and act accordingly, and destroy anyone who says otherwise. Now, Woody's gag offended the news media hugely and instantly, said media being scaffolded on the internet. The response was wildly censorious. Vanity Fair's Insta Bulletin said, Uncle Woody, taking to the stage to float conspiracy theories disguised as provocative humor, is both intellectually dishonest and tedious. Tedious? As if you've heard that come out of an A-list actor's mouths a thousand times. I doubt it. Who's being intellectually honest exactly? Rolling Stone likewise headlined, Woody Harrelson spreads anti-vax conspiracies during SNL monologue. Just how anti-anti-establishment now is the old countercultural rag that uh, James Howard Kunstler once worked for? The Daily Beast, the House, the left's house organ, echoed that. Woody Harrelson spews anti-vax conspiracies in rambling SNL monologue. Notice, spews, as in the most vile and disgusting bodily function imaginable. You revolting piece of filth. Now, what Woody didn't actually say in that little riff, if you're paying attention, is that the vaxes in question are ineffective and dangerous. Yes, he actually left that part out. Though there were enough dots in the monologue to connect that message, if you were of a mind to. The problem for the smartest people in the world is that their minds stopped working about five years ago, mainly when a certain Donald J. Trump stepped on stage to declare that the left's management of national affairs was corrupt, depraved, and dangerous. This enraged the management class to the max. Graduates of Yale, Brown, Harvard, and the rest of the elite service academies went nuts over that. And in a bizarre switcheroo for the ages, became the staunchest defenders of anything the government decided to impose on the people of this land. Starting with a series of political hoaxes, Russia Gate, Ukraine phone call impeachment, cresting with the COVID 19 hysteria and its vaccination cherry on top. The smartest people in the world were all in on all of that and knocked themselves out enforcing and defending it. And now it's coming out. They were played. Absolutely snookered! All these brilliant, morally unassailable, upright, good people taken for a ride, spoofed, put on, conned, and they sold out their country in the progr- in the process. Now they cower on the verge of being unmasked for the mendacious fools they are. One might empathize at how horribly painful this is—the ethical wreckage of a whole social demographic. But don't confuse empathy with sympathy. They were about to sink in historic disgrace and ignominy, and that's why their official interlocutors react so harshly. So get ready, it's coming. The day of reckoning is rolling toward us, and it starts with someone speaking the truth, even though that truth may be unpopular. I got a link to the article in today's show notes. I hope you'll check it out.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian
1: Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors who make this program possible. How do they do that? Well, they help support me and keep the wolf away from my door so I can actually focus my time, efforts, and energy on finding good, quality, principled, credible information that I can then pass on to you for your consideration. They include MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, Borelli.com, and TMCP Nation, that's the Modern Conservative Podcast Nation.com. Speaking of which, I really want to get my friend John Harvey to, <clears throat> to join me on the show and talk a little bit about uh, about Dilbert creator Scott Adams. Now you probably heard word on the street is Scott Adams is hopelessly racist. Although I really believe that uh, in most cases people who are making that claim are simply parroting PC platitudes. They really haven't either heard his message or they're just uh, trying to, you know, insulate themselves from any criticism. Well, yeah, I agree he's a bad person. He he made the culture uh, the cancel culture mob mad. Got a great article here from Deborah Hine. This is from AmericanGreatness.com. Dilbert creator Scott Adams, quote, I decided to pay. She's talking about the high price of free speech to have a conversation about race. Deborah Hine writes, dozens of news organizations and a major comic distributor have announced they will stop running the popular syndicated comic strip Dilbert. After its creator, Scott Adams, said black Americans who think it's not okay to be white are essentially a hate group and that he wants nothing to do with them. Now, Adams made the comments last Wednesday on his YouTube channel, Real Coffee with Scott Adams, in response to a new Rasmussen poll that showed 47% of black Americans either disagree or are not sure that it's okay to be white. Only 53% of black respondents agreed that it's okay to be white. Adams went so far as to say that his best advice for white people is that they should get the hell away from black people. Now, the cartoonist also commented he's sick of seeing videos on social media every damn day showing some showing black people picking up or beating up, rather, white people. He says there's some kind of black person beating the crap out of some white person. I'm kind of over it. So he advised white people to get the F away wherever you have to go. Just get away. There's no fixing this. Now, newspapers across the country have alerted readers that they're dropping Adams' long-running comic strip over his remarks. According to the Associated Press, Dilbert distributor Andrews McNeil Universal announced on Sunday that it was severing ties to Adams. This is what they said. Various media publishers across the U.S. denounced the comments as racist, hateful, and discriminatory while saying they would no longer provide a platform for his work. Readers of the Sun Chronicle in Attleboro, Massachusetts found a blank space in Monday's edition where Dilbert would normally run. The paper said it would keep the space blank throughout March as a reminder of the racism that pervades our society. Newspapers ranging from the Los Angeles Times and the Washington Post to smaller papers like the Santa Fe New Mexican and Arkansas Democrat Gazette also said that they would cease to publish Dilbert. The Strip, which Lampoon's office culture first appeared in 1989. This is a decision based on the principles of this news organization and the community we serve. That's Cleveland Plain dealer editor Chris Quinn. We are not a home for those who espouse racism. We certainly do not want to provide them with financial support. Now, the Andrews McNeil Universal statement said, The distributor supports free speech, but... Adam's comments were not compatible with the core values of the company based in Kansas City, Missouri. We are proud to promote and share many different voices and perspectives, but we will never support any commentary rooted in discrimination or hate, the statement jointly signed by the chair and CEO said. So in a YouTube video on Monday, Adams announced that new Dilbert strips will only be available on his subscription service on the locals platform. He says they made a business decision, which I don't consider anything like censorship. Speaking of Andrews McNeil Universal, noting that his comments were hyperbole. He also made a similar announcement on Twitter saying Dilbert has been canceled from all newspapers, websites, calendars and books because I gave some advice everyone agreed with Dilbert and more will only be available on the subscription site scottadamslocals.com when sorted out. Isn't that something? Adams drew support from billionaire Elon Musk, who agreed with a commentator who tweeted out that on Sunday that Adams comments weren't good, but chalked up the racial divide to identity politics and said we needed to return to being a colorblind society. Exactly, Musk responded. The chief twit then also suggested that media has played a role in the racial divide, first by being racist towards non-white people, then toward whites and Asians. Just how bad is the media bias in favor of its own oppression narratives? Well, included in this article is a chart that quantifies some of it. Unarmed white victims of police violence only get a tiny fraction of the news coverage that black ones do, maybe 2-3% to as much. By the way, Musk also defended Adams on Monday, tweeting that while he may not agree with everything the humorist says, Dilbert is legit, funny, and insightful. Now, Adams explained his position in a two-hour interview with black conservative Hotep Jesus on Sunday, clarifying that he is opposed to any discrimination against individuals. Everybody should be treated as individuals, period, he said. However, Adams added, if you're not in a constitutional legal sense and you're not talking to an individual, you might want to avoid people you think have a bad opinion of you. When asked why he made the controversial comments, the cartoonist told the host that he never does something for just one reason. In fact, he said, I wouldn't do it just for laughs. I wouldn't do it just for clout. I certainly wouldn't do it for financial reasons, noting that Dilbert's being canceled all over the country. He says, I'd be surprised if I'm still in business a few days from now. Adam says he disavows white nationalists for completely agreeing with me for all the wrong reasons. And he pointed out that contrary to popular opinion, he is a leftist who was a pro-Black Lives Matter supporter before he realized it's a sham. He believes in criminal justice reform. He supports a type of reparation he thinks would be agreeable to most people. He also noted that he's worked throughout his life to help improve the lives of black Americans stuck in poverty. Now, Hotep said he thought Adams made the controversial remarks in an attempt to start a larger conversation. Adams, laughing, said, I've discovered the price of free speech is really high, and there are only a few people willing to pay it. So I decided to pay it so I could extend the conversation to something that everyone needs to hear. Now, there's a link to to Scott's uh, tweet, where he or there, to the video, where he was was going off and making this statement. And he says, I'm accepting criticism from anyone who has seen the full context here. The rest of you are in a fake news bubble, but I trust you suspected that. But I would suggest, you know, before you form an opinion, I know it's really easy to pile on, well, he said something was controversial, therefore there must be some kind of truth <clears throat> to the fact that he's a very bad person. Please have the intellectual honesty to at least hear him out, hear it in context, and then make your decision. You may still decide, yep, he was totally off off limits on this. I don't think he was entirely wrong with what he was saying. Because I don't think anything he was saying was, was trying to say, hey, I'm better than them because of the color of my skin. Or you should hate them because of the color of their skin. If I could paraphrase what he's saying, what he said is there are people who hate you because of the color of your skin. And it's in your interest to not even associate with such people. Now that could go a couple of different ways. On the one hand, it's like, well, yeah, of course, you know, I'm not going to go marching into a Black Panthers meeting and, you know, insist that they all be my friend. At the same time, there's a pretty compelling case of uh, Daryl Davis, who's a black jazz musician, who personally has befriended and in the process of befriending, he has talked more than 200 members of the Ku Klux Klan out of that organization. And he didn't do it by lecturing them and telling them, you know, this is where you need to check your white privilege and, you know, whatever the, the catchphrase, the politically correct uh, mantra of the day might be. He did something far more profound, and that is, as individuals, he approached them and asked these individuals, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? And more than 200 of these individuals, when they got to know him, could not in, con- in good conscience remain a part of the Ku Klux Klan. Meaning, they turned in their robes because this man reached out to them as a friend and asked them, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? Now, personally, I believe that is a very valid approach. Is it going to work every time? I doubt it. But I also want to say, you know, at least in in mild defense of, of Scott Adams... It's almost a religion in America to where, you know, you cannot blaspheme or even acknowledge anything regarding race that falls outside of the politically correct parameters. It really is. It's it's like a religious cult. Anything you say must be couched in reverence and, you know, there can be no blaspheming of the name of, you know, Martin Luther King or anybody. I mean, you, you, there are some words you just simply cannot say even though you hear them over and over again in every rap song that's currently topping the charts? The point is, there's a false religion out there that's being pushed on us. In fact, it's almost a state religion at this point, given how people react to it. But are you really thinking things through for yourself? And when someone speaks the truth, even if it's an unpopular truth, do you have the courage to say, hey, that has a ring of truth to it?
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian
1: Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I feel like I stuck my neck out. You know, okay, so I'm talking about, well, you should be uh, unafraid to speak the truth. And yet, uh, just because... Well, does the truth have anything to do with race? <laughs> oh boy, you better not speak it because uh, you're going to be in big trouble. Again, I I don't think Scott Adams set out to, to promote hatred, but I think he acknowledged a very unpopular and painful truth, which is, hey, there are people out there who have been taught, carefully taught, to hate people because of the color of their skin. He's not talking about white supremacists, by the way. He's talking about a surprisingly large number of blacks who don't think it's okay for people to be white. How do you counter something like that? Again, I'm going to suggest, first of all, you counter it by being the most excellent person, character-wise and otherwise, that you possibly can. Secondly, you counter it on an individual basis when you get a chance to know people you know, if, if, if you think someone has misgivings, you can ask them, why would you hate me when you don't even know me? Or how can you hate me when you don't know me? And be prepared. There are some people who are just, you know, they're caught up in it. They find purpose. They find identity in it. And so they're, you know, they're going to do it. Don't take it personal. Or at least don't make it your problem. Let it be their problem and not yours. And I'm sure there's, there's some angle there. that Well, it just sounds just like white privilege being exercised, but never mind. See, I just, I don't have time for those mind games. I believe in, in living the golden rule. I believe in treating people the way that I would want to be treated. That doesn't seem very difficult. But for people who are using weaponized guilt to try to gain power and manipulation over others, oh, it's a no-win game. All right, a couple quick articles I want to point you toward. These are in my show notes at the BrianHydeshow.com Show notes for March 1st, 2023. Who is watching The Watchers? This is an article from Reason.com, from J.D. Seal Love J.D.'s work. The Supreme Court of the United States says domestic spying is too secret to be challenged in court. Officials shield government abuses from litigation by claiming national security. And, of course, the Supreme Court has declined to weigh in. J.D. Seal says... Abusive government behavior has again been found too sensitive to national security to face legal challenges in the court system. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to review a lower court's dismissal of the Wikimedia Foundation's lawsuit against a national security agency surveillance program revealed a decade ago by Edward Snowden. With state secrets privilege barring litigation, that leaves upcoming congressional debates over renewal of the law authorizing the program as the only recourse for civil liberties advocates. I'm going to take, uh, how does government lose its legitimacy for 500, Alex? Crazy stuff here. Well, yes, there might be a problem, but you know, that's just too secret and it's not really something we can touch on. Which goes to show you a couple of different things. Number one, the, uh, in the uh, national security state apparatus is far too powerful to be doing good at least in the sense of the proper role of government, protecting our God-given rights, it's been weaponized. And for those who are paying attention, it's very clear, not only has it been weaponized, but it's been turned and focused inward on us as potential threats. That's bad. But there's also the problem of, uh, you know, other aspects of government are actually protecting it, actively protecting it. A politicized Supreme Court isn't helping us one bit. So if you if you don't have any kind of uh, judicial remedy or you can't legally challenge them in court, what next? Well, I guess we'll just have to elect the right people and that'll solve the problem. Yeah, how's that been working out for us so far? You got a few people who get it. Representative Thomas Massey from Kentucky earlier said, uh, while surveilling foreign targets under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act or FISA, the U.S. government collects exabytes of data pertaining to American citizens. The Constitution requires a warrant to query that vast database for Americans and warrantless spying now. But with litigation against domestic spying thwarted by the invocation of state secrets privilege, J.D. Tuseel says Congress, for all of its many faults, may just be our last line of defense. I know, <laughs> I got a shiver up my spine too in thinking about that. Oh, great. We're going to have to count on Congress. All right, shifting gears, one last story that I'd like to bring to your attention. Uh, This is from Julie Kelly from amgreatness.com. Now that the January 6th video has been released by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to Fox News' Tucker Carlson, there's a lot of hysterics happening in the mainstream media. And in particular, the media is demanding darkness, not sunlight, on those January 6th tapes. Julie says, what we're hearing from the media industrial complex is fear, not concern. She says, ever since Axios reported that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy gave Fox News host Tucker Carlson unfettered access to surveillance video captured by Capitol security cameras on January 6, 2021, the corporate media has experienced a collective convulsion bordering on a nervous breakdown. Guardians of the Fourth Estate long ago abandoned their self-proclaimed role as watchdog over those in power in exchange for the role of lapdog. But she says apparently the last ones to get the joke are reporters, editors, and cable news hosts themselves, who still operate under the delusion that they maintain a vaunted place in the pecking order of American society rather than rank in popularity just below the toxic sludge smoldering in East Palestine, Ohio. Not long ago, or maybe it has been a long time, journalists would salivate at the chance to report on the contents of a massive trove of footage related to what the government calls a terror attack, especially if the same government pulled every trick in the book to keep it under wraps. Compelled by a slavish idolatry of the state and contempt for the common man, the media, for lack of a better term, is acting as if the release of unseen video recorded on January 6th is a crime in progress. Now, Julie Kelly says this comes, mind you, after two full years of uncritically repeating every talking point about the so-called insurrection, which involves calling it an insurrection, even though no one has been charged with insurrection. No cop cried too unconvincingly. No lawmaker made too outlandish a claim. No occupant of the White House told one too many lies to jolt the slumbering curiosity or even innate sense of skepticism of corporate media apparatchiks. Breaking news bulletins sought to grab the attention of their shrinking audience before airing a cherry-picked clip gleaned from the very collection of tapes now considered sacrosanct. So she says it's hard to know where to begin in the January 6th Hall of Hypocrisy, but let's start with an easy target. Washington Post columnist Philip Bump. Shortly after Trump won the 2016 election, the Post famously changed its motto to Democracy Dies in Darkness. Since January 6th, Few newspapers have do- devoted more column inches to the four-hour disturbance that only temporarily delayed certification of the 2020 election. A three-part series published in October 2021 provided a novel-sized exploration into what happened before, during, and after the protest. Proceedings of the January 6th Select Committee earned non-stop coverage, including reposting, you guessed it, clips of surveillance video played by the committee to an international audience, Bump now bristles at the thought of fair play. We should have no confidence that Tucker Carlson will do anything but use the video to which he's been given access for anything other than promoting his own narrative. That was Bump sneering in a February 21st column. It's not just that Carlson cannot be relied upon to actually consider the video in an objective way, though he certainly can't be. It's also that there is no reason to think that he'll present the video in context to include information that moderates what's being shown on the screen. Well, Darkness, it appears, is not a threat to democracy if it pertains to a blackout of taxpayer-funded recordings that may lay bare the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. On MSNBC, Rachel Maddow fretted, Fox News will use this government material to concoct an alternative narrative to give us a more convenient revisionist history about what happened on January 6th. Not to be outdone by, uh, not to be outdone, Rachel Maddow's MSNBC colleague, Joy Reid, warned that Republicans could twist the footage to help criminals get out of jail. This from the same network that infamously reported the 2020 riots were mostly peaceful as property burned behind a reporter. Reid and her guest, Representative Jamie Raskin of Maryland, then quickly defaulted to the Democrats' favorite villain, Russian President Vladimir Putin, Prideless and shameless after years of portraying Putin as the boogeyman in every fabricated smear operation, Raskin and Reid lamented how Carlson was once again doing Putin's dirty work. Tucker Carlson is a pro-Putin, pro-Orban, pro-autocrat propagandist, said Raskin. The propagandist would-be autocrat who twice attempted to remove a duly elected president from office. I mean, that really is out of Putin's playbook. Oh, absolutely, Reid responded. So what we're hearing from the media industrial complex is fear, not concern. And Julie Kelly says either ignorant about the underlying facts of January 6th or fully aware of the dirty side until now shielded from the majority of the public, the news media is afraid of what Carlson will reveal. And not even they are braced for the impact. I don't know if it sounds petty, but I'm going to say it. It makes me happy to see the media afraid over this. It's about time they started to experience some real fear. This is The Brian Hyde Show.